Hey guys, Coach here, how you doing? Man, I was thinking the other day when I was looking at some results on the 10 Trees podcast and video that uh, people received it pretty well. And I said, huh, hmm, thinking out loud to myself, maybe somebody would like to hear and see about plants that I would never put in my yard. And voila, here we are. Now these plants are not just a shrub. You're gonna hear grasses, you're gonna hear vines and other things that uh, people have made the mistake. And when I say the mistake, mm, it's more of a maintenance thing than anything else. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. Let's get this thing going, shall we? Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Okay, some of these uh, plants that I'm going to list off are from both personal and professional experience. Uh, some of them, like number one coming out of the gate, is one that I had to take care of as a young man growing up on my family's horse ranch. And I don't know why Pops got this thing. He probably got it for free. And I hated these plants. And then I saw some as I became a contractor and in the nursery industry selling them. And I just, ah, ugh. All right, let's get this list going, shall we? Number one, out of the gate, pyracantha. Pyracantha shrub, which can get rather large, depending on which variety you get. There is one called Santa Cruz that stays kind of short, but crap these plants. Here's the main reason I would say about pyracantha. It is very prone. Pyracantha scab, which is a bacterial blight disease. It is very prone, especially if you're in the warmer climates that don't have really hard winters you will find fire blight that will come in and infect it. And if you have other plants that are susceptible to fire blight, pyracantha is very generous at sending it on over to your desirables. And the berries, the berries are slightly toxic. And we've always heard the, the story about birds that eat pyracantha berries that get drunk and fly into windows. I don't know if that's true or not, but mm, it could be. But basically, they fly off and drop their berry poop everywhere, and pyracantha comes up there, which is going to be kind of a common theme you're going to hear here today. Lastly, the thorns. The thorns on a regular pyracantha can be really kind of go right through your glove type sometimes if you're having to prune it and clean it up. Uh, so pyracantha, number one out of the gate. I'm not saying it's number one because of super yuckiness. It's just a pain in the butt, and I would never have that in. Let's move on to number two. Number two is one that I had to take out of my very first house in Hayward, California. Man, this thing, thank God I was 23 years old at the time because if I had to do it now at 65, it'd near kill me and put me in the hospital. This thing was probably, the root zone alone was probably six feet across. And it took me actual working days, probably 14 working days, at about four hours a day, and that is pompous grass. Pompous grass is a uh, large decorative ornamental grass that, Jiminy Christmas, if you can find any other ornamental grass, to, no, not any, 
stay stay away from some ornamental grasses but pompous grass it has very long flowing look to it the leaves itself the leaves are serrated to the point where it can cut your skin open if you're messing with it and then the beautiful plume seed heads that come up into the top of it really look kind of slick but let it look kind of slick in someone else's yard uh, because all those plumes once they're mature and they start blowing around you guessed it you can have pompous grass across the backyard in your neighbor's yard up the neighborhood and very super difficult knowing what i know now i would have tried to get an excavator in my backyard i wouldn't have been able to but i would have tried because i did it with axe and pick and shovel it was a horrible experience and i would never ever have that i have never designed that in not even the dwarf one i have never designed that into a yard pompous grass okay number three staying on the grass topic and that is mexican feather grass or stipa stipa i always butcher the last name of this thing tenuissima these came in very popular in the mid to late 90s out on the west coast everybody loved the really fine texture and how it swayed in the wind and blah 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 but it is a seed producing whore and has a very 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 high propensity of spreading across your lawn and it is now in california considered an invasive species it really is it's kind of native to the uh, southwest and down into mexico and it's notorious for spreading from a seed broadcast not from birds or anything else i actually had a family member that planted this in their uh, front yard landscape in the central valley and it was about i don't know two or three years and he realized too that nope this all this has got to come out it's got to and he started having it come up in other places and word to the wise stay away from mexican feather grass uh, we used to call in the business just steepa grass but it is it is a about the only way that i would suggest it is treat it like an annual if you wanted to get it and put it in a container or something but as soon as those seed heads start to mature whoosh, you know take everything off at the top take it off and get rid of it and put it in the garbage do something with it or burn it dry out and let it burn whatever you have to do but don't let it go to seed and broadcast okay moving on number four now this one i am guilty of putting a couple in but where they went in they would not be a problem and that is wisteria vine now wisteria wisteria is a gorgeous freaking spring bloomer there is just no doubt about it it, it is hard to beat as far as spring bloom but in that bloom is part of the problem because it uh, has a heck of a flower mess but its main claim to fame is destructive root systems uh, they are a beast as much as a tree in some cases in very old mature versions now the, the couple that i put in they were to go up over an arbor in a country property and the arbor was set back up a hill which had a view and that's why we covered the arbor it wasn't my first choice it was the customer's first choice and so we did what we did and it never caused a problem but if you have small residential yards you want to put this in uh, oh like a, a gated arbor on the narrow side yard yeah no no stay stay away from it even though you 
may love the flower bloom. It also has quite a leaf drop in the fall, which a lot of things do. I mean, leaf drop is the least of my worries, but it would be more the, the root zone. Uh, some of the uh, seed pods that tend to drop. Uh, the flower has a little bit of a staining quality to it unless you get them picked up off of a hard surface uh, fairly quickly. Uh, and it's just, it's a big ass vine. It really is. So Wisteria made the list pretty quickly. All right, moving on. Number five is the Texas privet. This thing is very, very fast growing. It'll grow three and four feet a year, but it's propensity for berry carry. Uh, when it goes to flower, it's a very high pollen. It's a great pollinator, but it's a very high pollen count. Has a little bit of a fragrance to it. And then when it goes to berry, birds love this thing. And they will take it and fly away and do all the things that they do. And you'll have Texas privet everywhere. It is not a fun plant to have in the area. And guaranteed, if you start having volunteers coming up in your yard, they didn't originate there. They originated a half a block away and the birds brought them in. So if you see Texas privet, it is generally not sold at the retail level. You'll find some native nurseries that might grow it and other places. I've seen people dig it up and bring it home and grow it that way. But mainly, it was all part of demolition when I was doing work. It would be little volunteers in an overgrown bed somewhere that was coming up. But there were some beasts that we had to chainsaw down and then excavate out. And still, any berries that are left over that have dropped underneath the mother plant and stuff, those are all potential sprouts coming up the next year. So Texas privets, stay away from it. Now here's one coming up, number six, that is still sold retail. And people put this in their little perennial gardens and everything, and they really underestimate the spreadability. And that is Lily of the Valley, Convalaria. And it's, uh, it's kind of cute in the springtime. And it has a wonderful bulb-like leaf texture, almost along the lines of a hosta, but not as big but it runs and roots and sprouts and pretty soon your little cute perennial garden is nothing but lily of the valley. And in, in the wild, this is how this thing spreads. It's its natural growth habit. And although it has the cute white umbilata type of flowers in the springtime, it is a monster. And to get rid of it once it is established is literally digging everything out of the area it's in. And I mean, everything because you have to get every rhizomic root out and if you do not guarantee it'll sit there and go shh they don't see us just yet and next spring boom another one will be back up and then the whole nightmare continues so stay away from lily of the valley as well and number seven one that i have seen people personally ask for because they want to have an herb garden and part of their herb garden is this plant and they love the smell they want to trim it off and put it in their summer drinks and etc etc and that is spearmint spearmint is a freaking nightmare when it comes to spread and you'll see here in the videos coming up you'll see the roots that this thing will put out and it is like a, a minty little smaller version 
of bamboo, a running bamboo that is, and it'll pop up everywhere. It can run from your yard to your neighbor's yard without any problem. It doesn't have any qualms as far as property lines. So if you like spearmint and you want to use it in this fashion as far as as an herb, please container only and put very small numerous drain holes at the bottom of that container. Do not put a big drain hole and forget about it because the root system will go right through that drain hole and into the ground and unless you pay attention to it. So creeping mint, not a fan, not a fan at all. Here's one coming up now, number eight, that I have actually talked about as plant of the week. But I would really suggest that this go into very large yards and generally far away from the ornamental side outdoor living area. And that is sumac. Uh, the sumac bush, whether it be the red antler version or the cut leaf version, fantastic plant as far as fall color and fast growing, but it too has the ability to spread out. If you've ever seen sumac out in the wild, you will find, and I'm not talking about the poisonous sumac, I'm talking about the regular sumac. It has a propensity of underground runners and popping up. You always see groves of it out in the forest, and that's what it'll do to your landscape. Can you maintain it? Yes, but you have to pay attention to it. As soon as you see a sprout, you have to cut it off. And it's just a constant maintenance thing because this is its natural way of growing. So sumac is not, not a fave in coach's yard and would never be there, period. So stay away from it. Its rhizomic roots are very, very invasive and they tend to want to take over and whatever else you have in that bed, it's going to grow up, rob all the nutrients and water and shade out anything that's in there. Okay, here's one. Number nine, there was a time where a young coach was working at a retail nursery and I was starting out in the bedding plant and color area and this plant was one of the hottest things going off the shelf and we sold them in mud flats but it was a fast growing ground cover and <laughs> if I knew then what I know now yeah I would never have recommended it and that's English ivy. English ivy especially in some parts of the east part of our country maybe your area as well if you do not maintain the boundaries of this plant and when I say maintain I'm talking about digging a freaking moat a trench around it and constantly shovel cutting or whatever you use do not let it get out of bounds. I have seen natural areas where English ivy either from berry or from a yard has transformed a hillside, climbed up forested trees and just taken over. This thing can have trunks on it. It looks like it's something out of the Amazon rainforest. We're talking trunks that are four, five, six inches across and it'll climb until there's no more to climb and then it just keeps growing and then dangling and then blooming and then producing berries of which what? More birds come in and spread it. So stay away from English ivy. I personally, if you're going to do an ivy, try needlepoint ivy, maybe Hans ivy. It's not quite as aggressive. But English ivy and its bigger brother, Algerian ivy, which was always used on uh, uh, freeway hillsides and other things like that out on the West Coast, 
Uh, yeah, you don't see that no more, do you? Yeah, those things are, are not planted. English ivy, quite a beast. Stay away from it. And leading me up to number 10. And there are some websites that I did during research. There are some big fans of this plant. But they are people who are in the business of maintaining, caring, and harvesting this plant. And they tout its wonderfulness. But they're speaking from a position of a professional where their business is using this plant as a sustainable uh, harvest and regrowth, and that is bamboo. Whether it be clumping or running, bamboo for the average homeowner, someone who wants a fast-growing privacy screen, and they go out and get Phyllostachys nigra or something like that, and they put it in, and it, boom, it takes off, and pretty soon, within a year, you have your privacy screen, but that thing is running 20 feet away and coming up in your yard or going right underneath the fence and going into the neighbor's yard. And give that thing five years, and it is an unstoppable line of maintenance, both for you and your neighbor. And there are uh, barriers. There are barriers that you can put in. But my experience has been the barriers, which are like 18 to 24 inch hard ABS plastic that you put down in a trough and then plant your bamboo. I've seen it go underneath it. I've seen it go underneath that and come back up somewhere else. Now that might have been a unique situation. I don't know. But bamboo, as we all know, can be used sustainably for fabrics, for flooring, uh, all kinds of stuff. So it has its place in the world, but leave it to the pros. Don't use it. Now the clumping bamboo, it contains itself, but the clumps can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I have seen some clumping bamboos that have four and five foot diameter clumps. And they have the ability in small areas to lift concrete to lift fence bottoms and kickboards and that kind of stuff. If you're going to do it, I guess you could go with the clumping and put in the barrier and hope for the best. I think it would probably look best in large containers and let it be at that. And be sure that once it re reaches its maximum size for that container and you take it out, you can trim the roots off and put it in a slightly bigger container or you can divide it. But keep it containerized. I think the maintenance will be very, very easy then, and you can enjoy it. It does have a leaf drop, so it can be a little bit of a cleanup thing, but the big groves that I've seen also are quite a magnet for rodents. Uh, rats and mice, they love to get down inside all the, the sluffage that comes off of bamboo, and they make their little nests in there, so be careful. Okay, to always exceed expectations, I have some honorable mentions here. And these are ones that I, I obviously would not have them in, but they didn't make the top 10. And so consider it what it is. Uh, leading off the honorable mention, which I don't think you can find. I've never seen it in a retail nursery situation. I'm sure you could mail order it, but that's uh, Belladonna Nightshade. Beautiful plant, it really is but one of the most highly toxic plants you can possibly have. Sap and all, the seed pods, my gosh, I mean, phew, 
I mean, we're talking fatality type of stuff if you or your pet or somebody ingested it. The next one is uh, Barberry, uh, Barbaris thunbergii. Even though I have planted this, the standard ones do tend to have a way, berry-wise, of spreading by means of rodent or birds. I think they're kind of a useful plant. They're very, very cold tolerant, very good and drought tolerant. But the standard ones, the big ones, no, I wouldn't use those. Crimson pygmy and smaller ones, I think, would be the only ones that I would use. Uh, but stay away from the big ones. Besides, man, trimming those things, you, know, you lacerate your arms if you're out there with a hedge trimmer and you get your hands inside of that thing. Anyway, moving on. Yucca. And they call it that for a reason. It, it can be a very beautiful plant in the right situation, but I have seen people plant these things out west and in the southwest in a place that they don't understand the root system of a yucca. And it becomes a solid, massive, elephant foot-like base. And if you want to try to get that thing out, good freaking luck. It is really, really tough. Not only the fibrous stalks and everything, but trying to get a root system of a yucca out is quite an ordeal unless you have an excavator. Uh, enjoy it in a container. That would be my only suggestion. Next one is another privet. That's the Japanese privet used extensively back in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, has tapered off in popularity quite a bit in the last 20 years or so. Uh, Japanese privet, Ligustrum japonicum, berries, flowers, big, big pollinator when it's blooming. Man, it'll pull bees miles away. But the berries and the ability for it to become rather formidable as far as size and trunk, etc. Uh, it makes for a great evergreen shrub in the right zones, but it is a mess. It really is a mess between the berries and when it drops, it can have other little baby Japanese privets coming up all over the place. So I would stay away. Along with the next one, which is standard Nandina, uh, Heavenly Bamboo. Maestro and I were visiting a national park over in Arkansas, and I took a walk from the campground over to the town one day, and I noticed hillsides of Nandina forest that were in there. And I know that is not, I know that is not native to Hot Springs, Arkansas. I really do. And I was looking at that going, that stuff really does grow in places, and it's because it's planted flowers, berries, beautiful. I, I've had Nandina on my Christmas mantle before. Not just holly, but Nandina berries. Very colorful. Birds love them. And then they take them out to the forest, and it becomes an invasive species. So the standard Nandina I would not use. If you want to use some of the cultivars, Gulf Stream, Bar Harbor, some of those guys, they're really dinky, very controllable, and bloom and berry much less than the standard Nandina. Uh, a couple other of invasive ones, haven't seen them retail-wise, but uh, I have seen them in my travels now, and that is Kudzu. God, what a nightmare that thing is. Brought it in for hillside stabilization from Japan, and put it in and it is a monster. It it'll take over a forest. It really will. Kudzu, nope. Don't even don't even think about it. Lastly, one an invasive viney shrubby thing and that is Japanese knotweed. 
Uh, we have up in the Northeast, we see it up here now. We've been in Idaho. We have seen it up in the mountains of Idaho. This thing has basically found a home everywhere. So Japanese knotweed, I have seen it in containers, but it is not something that you want to put in the ground. You really don't. Not in your landscape. Hopefully none of your neighbors ever put it in. So Japanese knotweed. Hey, there we go. The top 10 plus a few extra ones. I hope you got something out of this. Take a couple of notes and maybe consider not using it in your landscape. Hey, if you got any questions, please don't forget to email me. I appreciate a very long conversation that I had with one customer and follower this week. I hope he gets his landscape under control out there in San Diego. I appreciate your questions and I hope I offered you some solutions. Anyway, guys, until next Friday, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget our website, youryardcoach.com. And as always, to your landscape success. Goodbye for now. Hey friends, Maestro here. Just dropping a reminder to check out the podcast description for discount opportunities and any important links. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on a specific app, please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps us grow and continue to provide these free podcasts. Again, thanks for listening to this week's show and we'll see you right here next week.